been in this series on the parables, and we started with, this is the fourth or fifth, what is this? This is the fifth one, fourth one, fifth one. <laughs> I don't know, you don't know, you don't care. But it's a, it's a parable, of the, we started with the parable of the seed and the sower, and the whole idea was that we just want, uh, we just want a, a dedicated heart. We want a heart that's open, responsive, that responds to the love of God and the grace of God. And we want to keep our heart open, and if not careful, if we allow it, our heart can become crowded, compromised, or it can become callous, and we just want to guard our heart. Then we talked about the parable of the unforgiving servant, where we're to get rid of all bitterness and rage and slander, forgiving each other as Christ forgave, as Christ forgave us. So just, if we're going to get it, we got to give it. We're just going to walk in forgiveness. We're going to cancel the debt. You don't owe me anymore. Doesn't matter what you did to me. I'm not going to be bound by that. I'm letting it go. And then the, the parable of the persistent widow, which was about prayer. And we've spent a week this week, this past week, in prayer from 7 to 8 every morning. We've had about 45 to 50 people come every day. Great time. I encourage you to set it apart, to try to carve out room on your schedule and join us. Short time of worship, some short devotion, and then corporate prayer. We also, if that's too late for you, we have 6 to 7, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. So we're just dedicating the first 21 days of August to prayer. And uh, we are confident we're going to reap the rewards of it and the benefits from it. And then last week was the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Talked about hell. You can go online and watch that. After last week's message, some young man put on our Facebook page, young adult, 20-something, he said, today I welcome the Holy Spirit back into my heart and heart. I finally broke the barricade I've been holding on to for way too long of my life, and I repented of all my sins, all my shortcomings, and all my past mistakes, all my regrets. I surrendered my life to the Lord and the Holy Spirit. God has a plan for me, and my heart couldn't be more open. What a great day. What a day of salvation. That's what he said. So we thank God for that. This morning's the parable of the rich fool. And you can follow along in your outline, follow along with me in your Bible, on your smartphone, whatever you do. Let me give you the context before I read the first verse. But Jesus had just rebuked the Pharisees. And, and, and if you know, his, just the animosity between him and the Pharisees, the religious group, they didn't recognize him. They hated him. He rebuked them. Just not a good deal. Bad deal, really. And he's warning He's warning his disciples, don't fear the person that can kill your body, but fear the one who can condemn your soul to hell. And so really what he's saying is, hey, the Lord's the, he's the great judge. He's the almighty God. Fear him and walk with him. And then he starts talking about, hey, don't be ashamed of me. Be courageous for me. Share me boldly. Uh, don't, don't back down against opposition. In fact, when, men, when you're brought before men and women, it won't be you speaking, but it will be the Holy Spirit speaking through you. And just be bold and be brave and be courageous for me. And, 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 and right in the middle of this, now, please don't ever do this to me. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could respond. But right into this, to the heart of this message, with thousands of people that were there, that's what the first part of the scripture says, this man stops him and asks a question. Someone in the crowd said to him, hey, you got to get the context. Hey, don't be scared of me. Gee, don't be ashamed of me. Don't, don't, don't be courageous for me. Jesus goes to take a breath and someone, hey, Jesus, let me, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Obviously, this guy had 
Dad died. Brother was the executor of the state. He wasn't, in his mind, getting his fair share. Jesus, and, and, and this, was, this could have happened because it was kind of, I mean, it did happen, but it kind of made sense because a, a rabbi in the Old Testament was not only a teacher, but also was an arbitrator. And so this wasn't so far-fetched that, that this could never happen. And so this guy was saying, hey, you're teaching like a rabbi. What you're saying has authority and power. And if you teach like that, surely you can, you can decide my struggle and my issue with, my, with the brother that I'm having. And Jesus responds to him. And it just, it just amazes me. He doesn't shut him up, be quiet, sit down. What are you doing? I'm trying to preach. No, he, who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you? I am a rabbi. I am a teacher. But I'm not that kind of teacher. I, I'm not getting involved in your, in your, your debacle with, with your brother. But since you brought the topic up, since you want to talk about it, let's talk about money. And you got to know this about Jesus. He never backed down on the topic of money. He never, even, he, in fact, he often brought it to the forefront. He talks about money more than he talks about prayer and faith. In 30, he had 38 parables. 16 of them talk about money because it's what he knew. The love of money, the pursuit of things, the focus on the external, the worry and the fret and the fear of not having enough. It, 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 it competes with, with a Jesus-filled life. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Either, either you will hate the one and love the one, other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot love both God and money. And so Jesus is teaching. This man interrupts. Jesus, he goes to the topic of money. Oh, you want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. Watch out, he said. Be on guard. Be alert. Don't give in. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You say, what is greed? And, and greed is a very hard sin to identify. It's a hard, at times, I mean, you can, you can see other sins. But come, sometimes greed is a sin of the heart. Greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. That everything I get is for me. Here's another definition. Anything that comes to me is for me. That it's mine. I can do with it whatever I want. And greed is manifested in this I'm going to have it now, so I'm going to spend what I have for my pleasure and my enjoyment, or I'm going to save, and I'm going to make sure I have enough in the future, and my, and my hope and, my, and my, everything is going to be based on, on what I have in the bank or what I have in, the, in my 401k. And listen to me, you might believe God and respect the Bible and call yourself a follower of Christ. But when it comes to big decisions, like where am I going to work and where am I going to live and who am I going to vote for? If, if those decisions are financially driven, if you're thinking, how is this going to affect me financially? Am I going to be able to get what I want, leverage so I can have more? If, if your concern is, is a financial concern, either consciously or subconsciously, if your ultimate dependence replies, relies on your income or your finances or your stuff, it means that you're fueled by greed. The assumption that it's all for my consumption. Listen to what Paul said. He kind of echoed what Jesus said. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Okay, I get that. I, I know the power of sexual sin. 
I know the, the mess that it causes in my life and those around me when, when I get involved in that or of any other kind of impurity. Okay, I know God's called me to a holy lifestyle, but in that, in that context, he says, or of greed. He's naming three sins, and one of them's greed because they are, these are improper for God's holy people. The assumption that it's all for my consumption, it's not right for God's people. It's contrary to the way I want you to live or the way I want you to operate. Paul goes on and says, for this you can be sure. This is settled. No immoral, there's that sexual sin, impure, that impure person, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. If if you are consumed with finance, you don't have to be, you don't have to have a lot to be consumed. I mean, I've seen people that make next to nothing, but they're so fearful. They're so afraid. Every decision's based on finances. They think it's all about them. And oftentimes, they can't manage their money. They don't, they don't honor the Lord with their money. And, it, and, it, and it's just this sin of greed. Such a person is an idolater and has, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Here's what Jesus said. You want to talk about money? Let's talk about it. You want to change the subject? I'm up for it. So be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out for it. Because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Why the harsh words? Why the strong warning? Because when you're fueled by greed, you live as if there is no God. There's no When you live on the assumption that it's all for my consumption... You live with no accountability and no sense of responsibility until there is a problem. Until you get a pink slip or an unforeseen expenditure, an unexpected bill, and God becomes your backup plan financially. Up into that point, it's sit, God, stay, God. I made this money. I'll spend it the way I want. I'll do with it what I wish. Don't don't come over here. Look, that might work for your pet, but that will not work for God. The problem with, 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 with that is God does not want to be invited into your life just when it's a problem. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your leader. He wants to be your master. He wants to be your king in every area of your life. He doesn't want to be your bailout plan or your backup plan. He wants to walk with you. He wants you to learn from him and trust him and obey him and follow him. He will not compete with your allegiance from any person or anything, including your affection and your devotion for money and stuff. He is either Lord of all or not at all. You want to talk about money? We'll talk about money. Watch out. Be on your guard. Let me tell you a story about money. Let me tell you a parable, a story that illustrates a spiritual truth. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. I underline rich man. I want you to do that. I want you to circle it. I want you to write it down. Because, because anybody ever dreamed about being rich? Any, am I the only one? Just a few, few weeks ago, the, the, the winning lotto ticket won $453 million. Now, I'm not a lotto player, but if I was, I would have played last week. Who, who wouldn't want, do you know what you could do for $453 million? This week, it's only $53 million. God help us. What are we going to do? 
I wouldn't even play. It's not even worth it. $53 million. Don't, don't even go there. But here, it, you know, even the popular TV show when I was growing up, about to age myself, was the Jeffersons. They're moving on up, man. I just used to think, anybody heard about the Jeffersons? Some of you young people are thinking, what in the world? They, they moved, they, they had a penthouse apartment in the sky. They had a maid named Lou, Lee, Wheezy, wasn't her name? Or was that the wife's name? See, I don't know much about it either. Florence was the, you watch too much TV. Florence was, was the maid. And, and I thought, man, if I could just be like the Jeffersons, I could have it all and do more and save more and get more. But here's the reality. Good news and bad news. Which, which do you want first, good or bad? All right, I'll give you the good news first. You're rich. You are rich. I am rich. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You have rich opportunities. You can send your kids to school and sports and music lessons. You got a dentist and a doctor. And when you want to go on a date, you can get a babysitter. And you can go to a weight loss program and pool memberships and vacation and Christmas and birthday party and massage therapists. You know, that's one of the fastest growing professions in our culture today. Massage therapists. Why? Because we're rich. We have rich opportunities. You know what? We have rich stuff. And I realize that some of you are hurting financially. Maybe you've gone through a divorce, and not only have you been stung by unfaithfulness, but it's created a huge void financially. Some of you have been sick. You're better now, but the, fi- the, the medical bills have, have so built that you don't even know where it's going to come from. Some of you single parents are, ha- have struggled and and. and and, and you, you, you just, you're maybe not working a high-paying job, and you, you, you're just, and my heart goes out to you, and, and we want to help you and come alongside you. But for those that say, well, I, I just, Pastor, you say I'm rich. I'm telling you, you are rich. No, I'm not. As you watch your cable on an HDTV, eating a hot pizza delivered to your door, ordered from your iPhone with unlimited texting and data plan. We're doing okay. We're rich. The vast majority of the world. Are you just thinking about this or was that was not funny? Okay, you're just thinking about it. The vast majority of the world describes us. Here's what they say. You know there are some Westerners in America. They are so rich. They own their own car. You know only 3 to 5% of, of the world have cars. They're so rich, they have two cars, and they've got a room for their cars, designated just for their cars, to keep them out of the elements. It's called a garage, and they can get in that car, and they can drive down the street, passing literally hundreds of restaurants, and get to the one that they prefer, and they can sit down and order off a menu where somebody prepares a meal just like they want, serves it to them, and cleans up after them. They're so rich that that sometimes they eat too much and get too big, and so they go to gyms, and they have trainers that they pay to help them lose weight and get a six-pack, and they have a throne in their house. We call it a toilet, but it's really a throne. And it's got a magic lever, and you just pull the lever, and all the unpleasant stuff departs from you. It's amazing. And they, they, have, this, they have this room in their home called a closet, and, and nobody sleeps in the closet. They just keep their clothes in a closet. And some people are so rich, they have the, the husband's closet and the wife's closet. 
And in the closet, they have summer clothes and winter clothes and work clothes and church clothes and play clothes. I hope you're getting the idea. We are rich. We're rich. 50% of the world lives on less than $2 a day, and we complain we don't have enough. If you make $45,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If you, if you make 80K, you're in the top one-tenth of 1%. And you say, I don't feel rich. I, I don't think I'm rich. It's because you're comparing yourself with rich people. I remember when I was making 18,000, Angie and I just started ministry. And, and I, you know, 18,000 even back then, a few years ago, that was still not a lot of money. And I saw my friend, he was a youth pastor, had been there a little longer, was over a few more kids, a little bit more responsibility. He was making $45,000 a year. And I told, we talked about, man, if we just made $45,000 a year, we'd be rich. All our needs would be met. We'd never have to worry again. Guess what? I got the $45,000. I didn't feel so rich. I thought, man, because we always got to have more. We, we, we don't, we, we're not able to, to draw. Here, here's what they say. That Gallup did a polling, and they, got, they, they polled people that made $30,000 a year, and they said, what would it take to make you feel rich? They said $74,000. They polled somebody making $50,000. What would it make you? What, what, would you, what would it make you to feel rich? They said $100,000. They pulled people that made $250,000, and they said, if I had $5 million in assets, I'd feel like I was rich. Because it just keeps moving. It, it just, here, it has been said that if we could reduce the world to one global village of 100 people, this is what it would look like. 70 would be unable to read. One would have a college education. 50 would be suffering from malnutrition. 80 would live in houses unfit for for human habitation. Six would control half the money of the entire village. We are the sixth. If you're going to win against greed, you got to know that God has blessed us with more that we need. The good news is we're rich. And I don't say that to guilt you. I don't say that to manipulate you. I say that is a fact. And I'd much rather be rich than poor, wouldn't you be? You just got to realize it in your heart and your mind. Hey, I'm rich. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. You're rich. You know what that means? It's being rich is the greatest challenge to overcome to being a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Greatest challenge. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? The only time in scripture where Jesus said, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. So this wasn't a, this wasn't a command for everybody. This was a particular person at a particular time. Hey, you want to follow me? Go give it all away. Jesus identified greed, materialism, a fondness, a passion for things, and he addressed it and he spoke to it. And the young man said, I can't do it. The Bible says he walked away Sad. And then Jesus, the disciples were there, and Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven. Why is that? And you, again, you gotta, I'm talking to rich people right now. Why is it so hard? Because it's harder to depend on God when you're rich. When you got every, the Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is when you have everything, it's hard to depend on God. You go to a nation where they're totally 
They don't have dentists. They get a toothache. Their tooth falls out. They get a fever. They could die. They, they don't know where their next meal's coming from. They don't have a 401k. They don't have a pension. They don't have the promise of a job. You, you, you tell that kind. Man, they got to depend on Christ. When we got it all and have it all, we get sick, we run to the doctor, we get some medicine. And again, thank God, we're rich. And that's a blessing. But if we're not careful, it also can become a curse because we depend on our riches more than we depend on God. We depend on our, we, we feel like our, our source and our provision is, is by what we do and what we've got. Here's another thing, if you're rich, it distracts us from true priorities. Listen, if you're honest with yourself and you know anything about the Bible, you know the importance of being in church on a regular basis. Right out the beginning, God said, I want you to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. I'm going to set aside one day a week where I want you to, I want you to rest. I want you to rest in me. I, I, I want you to, in the early church, began to mind, I want you to come on a regular basis with the people of God. And I, wanna, I want you to learn from me and depend on me and make recommitments to me. And I want together, the body to be together, to encourage one another and strengthen one another. But today, church attendance is on a decline in America. Again, why? Because we got so many distractions. We have lake houses and season tickets and golf memberships and travel sports and hobbies and things that get in the way and compete with what true believers recognize are spiritual priorities. Here's another thing about rich, rich people. We have a greater responsibility. To much is given, much is required. You're going to be held more accountable. When I say you, I'm talking to me too. I'm going to be held more accountable. I'm going to judge more closely. Expectations are higher. Responsibilities are greater. Jesus said, okay, you want to talk about money, let me warn you about greed. This assumption that it's all for your consumption, this, this idea that whatever I get for me is to be used on me, it competes with my allegiance, and it's got to be broke. And the only way that you can break it, number one, is you got to realize first that you're blessed and with, you're rich, and with being rich comes many blessings, and it's, and it's a great privilege. But also being rich can become, can come many problems and potential pitfalls. And you got to beware of them. Here's another thing about, about what he said. Let me go back. A certain, here it is, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Here's the second point I want to make. Realize it comes from God. The ground of a certain rich man, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Uh, the, the rich man, did he work hard? Absolutely. Did he sweat? Did he prepare? Did he sacrifice? But the ground of the rich man is what produced the good crop. The, crop, the ground yielded the crop. The ground produced the product to sell and to trade and to consume. As much as the rich man wanted to take credit, the reality is God caused the field to produce for him. We are rich because God is our source, because God in his grace. No, you say, no, no, I've worked hard, and that's a great quality. No, no, I've sacrificed, and I'll tell you, nothing good comes without sacrifice. 
And I know you've put in the time. And I know you have sweat, sweat equity. And that's an admirable trait. But you are rich, not because of your creativity, not because of your work ethic, not because of your ability. You're rich because God in his goodness and God in his grace has called the, the ground that you are working in to produce a good crop. Here's what Paul told the church of Corinth. What did you receive that has not come from God? Everything we have is because of God. Here's what, here's what uh, Solomon said. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, God gives wealth. God gives riches. And, God gives, and he wants us to enjoy them. Again, I'm not knocking rich. I'm saying we are rich. And let, here's what I'm trying to declare. Let's do rich well. When God does it, you can enjoy it. It's a gift of God. It's God's gift to you. What are you going to do with the gift? And here's what Romans says. The two greatest sins in Romans chapter 1 are irreverence. I did this. I made this. I created this. I supplied this. Are ingratitude. I don't, I don't need to return thanks to God. So, so I just I agree. That's what greed causes. Irreverence. And ingratitude. So how do I combat that? What do I... Man, I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't want anything stealing my allegiance. I want to do rich well. What do I do? Well, here's what the writer of Proverbs said. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your riches. Don't be greedy. Don't assume that it's all for you. But honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops. And, 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 and you're, you're saying, Pastor, you're talking to the choir. Faithful church people give. And that's what you would think. But 21% of consistent American church members do not give anything to the church they attend. Not one cent. 71% gave less than 2%. Of their income, they did a study. This is what they found. If every church member in America lost their job and went on welfare or unemployment and gave 10% of their government check, giving in U.S. churches would increase by 30%. These rich people, when compared to the rest of the world, surely they give more than the less fortunate. And we think, well, if I made more, I'd give more. It is a proven fact. Those who make less give proportionally more than those who are better off financially. Those who made $10,000 and less last year gave 5.2% of their income. Those with an income over $75,000 gave 1.6%. Well, I don't have to give and I can still go to heaven. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. For God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. If you love Jesus, you'll give. You'll give your life and your time and your energy and your resources for kingdom purposes. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Pastor, what's the big deal? Why are you yelling about this? Why, why do you even care? Because money is the chief competitor for your hearts. An unhealthy attitude towards it has the greatest ability to knock us off track and keep us from God's best and limit our effectiveness 
and steal our faith. The love of money is the root of all evil. And the antidote and the prescription and the solution to keep this from happening in your life is to obey the command of God to give. And here's what it says in the Old Testament. A tithe of everything, the first 10% goes to the Lord. You don't bring it, you return it. It's His in the first place. Well, Pastor, where's that in the New Testament? When Jesus came into the culture, it was implied. Tithing was so woven into the culture of the Jewish people that Jesus didn't even need to debate it or discuss it. The only time he mentions it is in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees. You're hypocrites. Yeah, you give a tenth. You tithe the first amount of your income and, and what you make, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. All you care about is keeping the rules. I just wish you'd walk in justice and have mercy and show more faithfulness. Here's what I want you to do. Practice the latter. Have justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting the former. Keep tithing. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill fulfill the law. Jesus assumed that they would be and would continue to tithe. And some of us think, well, that's a gray area, or it's not really clear, or that it's a culture issue, or it's not a command, or it's just a preference, not a principle. Wearing a robe or jeans when you preach is a preference. Meeting in a gym or a cathedral for a church is a preference. Contemporary or traditional worship is a preference. Tithing is not a preference. It is a biblical principle throughout Scripture commanded by God. God, expected by Jesus, and modeled by the early church, that we are to honor God with the first 10% of our income. And some of you say, man, pastor, you talk about that. I'm going to go into an involuntary seizure. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? Next week, you're going to ask me to drink the Kool-Aid. If I gave 10% of my money, I would have to totally rearrange my life. Exactly. You get to rearrange your life around God. Every time you tithe, it reminds us that we're putting God first, that he's the source, that he's the owner, that he's in charge, that I love him, that I fear him more than anything or anybody else. My kids, I have driven them crazy about tithing. I mean, they know they're to tithe. And Zachary Tyler started this long business long time ago. And they, they made 150 bucks one week. And I said, have you tithed? Dead. You know, they just got, they were just dead. We're going to, your church is going to get my $15. I said, your $15 can't even get us three gift cards for visitors on Sunday morning. Your $15 ain't going to keep a light on for five minutes. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. I don't want you trapped by greed and materialism. I don't want you missing out on God's best. I, don't, I want you to know what it is to honor God and revere God and respect God. I want you to know what it is to partner with Him in fulfilling His purpose and, and helping His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about what I want for you. It's what I want. It's not about what I want from you. It's what I want for you. And, and, and just a couple months ago, my... Don't you love it when your kids say you're right? And dad, and, and you know, some of you got young kids, you're not going to hear it to their older. I'm just telling you. 
And, and even now, he didn't say these words, but he was thinking them. Because he, he's 22 years old, and he just purchased his first house, and he put a large sum of money down on it. And we're at Chick-fil-A talking about it. I said, Tyler, how are you doing all this? He said, Dad, it's God. I don't understand it. You taught me to tithe. I've been tithing. He's been faithful to me, and I'm just basking in his, I'm just basking in his goodness and his grace. It works. It works. He hadn't said it yet, but he's going to say Dad, you were right. I was wrong. <laughs> I can't wait. Cannot wait. <laughs> Here, here's what, here's what Paul said. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not going to pass an offering bucket around. I'm not trying to get an emotional response from you. I'm trying to teach you the word of God so that you'll honor it and you'll be blessed by him. Don't don't be reluctant. For God loves a cheerful giver. And if I want anybody to love me, it's Angie and God. I want them to love me. And he loves a cheerful giver. And what will he do when we give cheerfully? He's able to make all grace abound to you. He's able to cause it to overflow and to thrive. So that in all things, at all times, regardless of the economic affairs of the nation, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, I want this promise. I want to live under this blessing. And it starts as we're generous, as we don't see ourselves as as the owner, but as the steward, where we understand that, yes, we're rich, but with that riches comes a responsibility. And I've got to honor the Lord with my finances. Instead of doing rich right, which you can, This rich fool did it wrong. This is what he said. I've got this bumper crop. I've got this great harvest. This is what I'm going to do. I don't have enough storage room for it. I'm going to tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I'm going to store all my grains and goods. Do you you know there's a Starbucks, it seems like, on every corner? Have you seen them? They're everywhere. Have you seen them? Little green Starbucks. You drink it a lot. You've got a lot of drinks. There are five more storage units. For every Starbucks, there are five storage units in America. Five. And some of us, some of them for legit reasons. They got a business. They need extra space. The majority are for stuff that we can't keep in our garage, in our house, in our attic. So we just build bigger barns. This is a rich fool. This is what Jesus says about him. And I, I'll say to myself... You have plenty of good things. It's the rich fool saying it. Laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat. Drink. Be merry. It's all for my consumption anyway. I'll do with it whatever I want and however I wish. But God just said to him, You fool. The word fool. One who acts contrary to sound wisdom in the way he behaves one who follows his own inclinations, who prefers trifling and temporary pleasures to the service of God and eternal happiness. You fool. You want to do it your way. You think you're smarter than me. You think you did all this. This night, your life will be demanded from you. 
You're going to stand before me and give an account for the riches that I blessed you with. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This, here's our lesson. You want to talk about money? We'll talk about money. Stay away from greed. Watch out for it. You want to talk about money? Let me tell you about a parable of a rich fool who was rich and kept it all for himself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. See, one day you're going to stand before God and I think you're going to hear, you fool, you did it your way. You lived by your own understanding. Or, well done, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be like the rich fool. I want to hear, I want to hear, well done, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Therefore, I must honor the Lord with my wealth. I must be responsible with my riches. I must not allow greed and materialism. I must not allow the thinking or the assumption that it's all for my consumption. I must not live with this mindset that, that whatever comes to me is for me. I got to realize that God is my source that God is my supply, that God is my provider, and I want to honor Him above everything and anyone else. I want to be rich towards God. Amen, everybody? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me.